Worship group, thank you very much. It's um, good for our souls. Kim, someday you're going to have to do that after we get into the word because there's so many great responses in that. That's a wonderful one. Uh, let's see. Um, think of this, if you will, as a dinner table. Uh, and in our, our dinner table, and, I, and don't think of it as our dinner table. At our dinner table, when, when I speak, there's something, there must be something about the way I do it where when the kids want to ask a question or say something, they raise their hand. Uh, I, I, I don't want them to raise their hand. I want them to interrupt and say things, but they, they must have a sense of seeing me a little bit like a teacher. Well, today we're a small group, so if you have a question or if you have a comment, just interrupt, and I will, I'll cut out things a little bit later in our time together. So we are a small group. Think of us as a small group, those of you who are online. I don't judge you for that because if it was up to me, I would probably be streaming this morning uh, because 10 o'clock tends to have a lot of rain. We're in Matthew chapter 23. Uh, it's, as you see in the various gospels, uh, they, the last week of Jesus's life on earth tended to capture the writer's, uh, the writer's interest. So you have lots more details here. So we're in the last week of Jesus' life. This is Tuesday of the last week uh, with Passover and, and, and the crucifixion and resurrection coming in later in the week. And, and this particular day, Jesus is in the temple, and it's a kind of culmination to the war the Pharisees waged against him by, 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 stand, by opposing him, by, by testing him, by trying to turn the people against him. And so as a result, this is the time when he speaks very directly about the hypocrisy of the, the Pharisees. You're going to hear hypocrisy going something like this. Most prominently is the Pharisees were concerned about their reputation, their image before other people. What will the people think of me? They wanted a certain fame and glory for themselves. That will be most obvious. They care about what they look like to other people. Who they are in their own hearts is irrelevant to them. So that is going to be a prominent, a prominent feature of the, the Pharisees and the scribes that Jesus identifies. The second is, it follows from the first. If you care about external behavior and external behavior alone, you're going to be interested in rules. And if you have if you're in a position to make up rules, you're going to make up tons of rules that, that make you look good on the outside, but it doesn't matter what is on the inside. Most notably, what you will find lacking in all these rules is none of them will speak about love. Because, because the call to love, love our neighbor as ourselves with our entire hearts, is one that gets us all, and the Pharisees and the scribes don't want to be gotten by their law. They want to construct laws that, that give them loopholes, that give them opportunities to point the fingers at other people, but somehow they are spared. Image and reputation, uh, different rules that they can measure up to that give them a certain pride and arrogance before others, and they can, they can speak against others. If it's all about you, the third thing would be this, if it's all about you and measuring up to the rules and you believe you have, then, then you will have a kind of immunity to any critique 
whether the critique comes through the Spirit, through Scripture, through other people, you will simply not be willing to look at yourself. You are above correction. You will, you will judge, but you won't be judged. So that seems to be the, the core of Jesus' critique uh, of the Pharisees. What we will do is we'll go through the passage and consider how Jesus speaks to the Pharisees. But in Scripture, obviously, when Jesus is speaking, no matter who the group is, we're always overhearing and we're waiting for Scripture. And Paul does this in Romans where he's speaking about others. And he says, and you, and you, and you. So we will want to take these things to heart, even though we're not standing in the same position, obviously, as the Pharisees. So everybody have scripture in front of them? They can read along. There's, there are some larger passages. I might skim over some of the larger passages, but it will work out better for you if you can see these passages. First of all, Jesus is going to speak to the disciples um, and to the people who are with the disciples. Then he will speak directly to the scribes and Pharisees. And then he will, he will conclude this section with his, with his um, beautiful lament over, over Jerusalem. He's in the temple, and the crowds have been gathering. To the crowds and to his disciples, those who are with him, he says this. And the scribes and Pharisees, by the way, are among uh, the people who are listening. The scribes and the Pharisees, they preach, but they do not they establish all kinds of laws for you, but in the privacy of their own homes, they do something different. They establish all kinds of laws for you, but they look for ways out of those laws. And the laws, by the way, were proliferating at this point. For example, there was a law about, about uh, reaping and working on the Sabbath. Okay, makes sense. You rest on the Sabbath. God rests and we rest along with him as an expression of our confidence and trust in him. But as the laws develop, you, how can you make it a matter of your behavior? So, no, you're not allowed to take any wheat and grab it. So that law is added. Um, uh, you're, you're, not even, you're not even allowed to walk near the wheat. You're, you're actually, you're not even able to smell the things that... It's illegal to smell the things that you are, you are working on, you're seeking to grow. The, you know, the, the laws would get increasingly bizarre as, as, um, as a way to, to lay burdens on the people. But the Pharisees and the scribes did not practice them themselves. In contrast, Jesus, Jesus speaks to you of his, the, the, the care your Father in heaven has for you. And since he cares for you, it means you can call out to him. And so Jesus would pray with his disciples. He would, he would go away privately to pray. And at some point, seeing that Jesus spoke about the care of his Father and was so persuaded that he could pray and speak the things on his heart to his Father, at some point, watching him practice what he preached, remember what they did. They said, teach us how to pray like that. That's, that's, that's exactly what, what we want. The Pharisees, they preached all these various laws. They didn't 
didn't practice them himself. The passage goes on. He's speaking about the Pharisees here. They tie up these heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with their finger. They're unwilling to help. Um, one of my daughters, I think she was a, a young teen at this point, she, she, said a, she said at one point that she felt like I was always getting on her, always getting on her. And I, I protested, of course, uh, which suggests a certain Pharisaism where I am the one who writes, I am the, I am the one who's right, I am the one who creates the laws, and you live by them. Uh, and, and, but it wasn't, it wasn't for a while where I began to realize that I wasn't cr criticizing my daughter every single day. But if you would look at the ratio of encouraging words to, hey, what are you doing? What, come on, come on. What, the, the, the critiques, the... The, you know, they stop doing these kinds of things. If you would listen to the ratio, the ratio would certainly be here are the things that you are doing wrong. And, and I never, I never went to her. Well, I, I, it's probably years later, but I don't remember going to her then and saying, Linz, here's, here's how God calls us to live and it is really good. And it's been really hard for you. How can I help you? How can I help you? This is, this, is, this is following our Father in heaven who does that very same thing. He calls us to things that can sometimes be hard. And then he says, I will give you help. And even ask for help. I will give you this spirit to, to even empower you. Jesus says, for those who feel like they're always a failure, and, and, and they're never measuring up to the law of love. He says, come to me. You're a burden. Uh, and I will give you rest. And somehow he says, I will take that yoke on myself. I will carry that burden with you on your behalf. And I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Jesus is continuing to speak about the Pharisees here. He goes on and says this, uh, for they make phylacteries. I'll mention what phylacteries are in a moment. They make phylacteries broad, their fringes long. They love the place of honor at feasts. That's obvious to us what that means. The best seats in the synagogues. They love to have certain kinds of greetings in the marketplace where you identify them as rabbi, somebody who is called out and different than, than the rest of the community. And this seems to be the crux of their hypocrisy. They want to be seen. They want to be known. They want to have a certain measure of local fame. They're controlled by their reputations before other people rather than being right with God. By the way, the phylacteries, were, they're spoken about in the Old Testament. They are these small little containers, and you, you put little passages of the law in them. And sometimes they would tie a little, little, little piece of leather around their head and and have the phylactery there. Sometimes they would bind it around their arm. It was, it was a reminder of, of, of having the law of God in front of them. Well, the, the Pharisees, what they did was their phylacteries, they were ornate. You could see them a mile away. These were the religious people. The, the um, what did they say? I think it also says something about um, fringes being long. 
scripture talks about fringes and having a blue, I think it talks about this in Numbers, it talks about having a blue sort of, sort of uh, dye at the bottom of the fringes. This would remind you, every time you looked at the fringes, would remind you of who God is and what he's done and what he says. Actually, if you look at Jewish dress today, you will still find them wearing those kinds of fringes. The real Orthodox Jews, you will see them sometimes wearing their phylacteries. The point is, not that they were wearing those things. The point is, they wanted them to be ornate and obvious so you could see how religious they were. And they were more religious than you. And somehow we're categorically different than you. And this is what Jesus says in concluding his, his comments to the disciples in the crowd. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I was, I was considering this passage last week. Uh, right around the time I was considering it, I, I received a, an email from, from a student. And the, e the email was, was talking about how I, was, I said something and some other people had been critiquing it. And, they, and the person, the student said, you, can I send along their critiques? Of course, I'm, I'm open-minded to those things. Of course, send their own. Come one, come all, any critiques, I'm happy to hear them. And so the person did. And, and I, can, I, I got one paragraph, there are two critiques. I got one paragraph into the first critique. And I've already determined that I am not ever going to be part of that particular community that was critiquing me. I had already decided how I was going to, uh, I was just sim going to simply ignore them because they weren't worth it. And so I, in, in my own mind, and by the way, this is the challenging thing. I was thinking that I was right in doing this. I was, I was, scripture was informing me. This is an unrighteous critique, and, and I stand against this particular unrighteous critique. And I'm not even going to say anything about it because it's, they're not worth it. it it's, it's somehow... It doesn't sound that good when I say it, but, but somehow it seemed right at the time. And, and then I read this particular passage, just this, this one verse. This is sort of the concluding verse of the first section. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In a moment, in a moment, it brought me into a kind of reality uh, and a, a confession for what was it? It was... There was nothing right, nothing righteous about what I was doing. I simply was saying, I am right, and I have an immunity to their other critique. How dare they judge me? This is going to be, in a sense, the, a, a core teaching that Jesus is going to bring to the Pharisees, to the people, and to us. The greatest among you is a, ser is a servant. A servant doesn't care that much about their reputation. They're a servant. And the servant is considers it its duty, its, its um, responsibility, its mission to be humble before the one he or she serves. Then it moves to a passage where he speaks to the Pharisees specifically. And this, as you know, it's called the seven woes in Scripture. Aren't you glad you came this morning? We hear the seven woes. I'll limit them to six because there are two woes that can be collapsed into, into one. I think the important thing for us is to recognize as Jesus speak, he speaks these woes, 
he is identifying warnings because the people are, are, the Pharisees are moving toward death themselves and they're leading other people to death. And so it's a warning, but it is a warning with an opportunity. He is speaking to them and inviting them to return. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, hypocrites. You care about what's on the outside. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would, would enter to go in. Because, because you have made the kingdom of heaven about, it, it, you made it about the, this, this multitude of laws that no one could possibly keep, and you certainly don't keep yourselves. And you call these converts, you go around the world seeking converts, and you lay these rules on them. These rules that are about what they are supposed to do rather than who their God is and what he has done. And obviously Jesus stands in contrast where he, he, he invites you to come. And, and if you don't come, he, he pursues, he knocks on your door, Revelation chapter 3. And if you don't answer, he pursues you like a lost sheep. And he pursues and he pursues. This is, this is the nature of our God who calls us not, not, not to measure up to all these different rules, but to recognize that he is the one who has measured up. And he's taken the yoke on our behalf which frees us to, to and, and excites us perhaps even to, to grow in this law of love that is the heart of, of our own mission. One woe, you're hypocrites, and you lay that hypocrisy upon other people, and you condemn them as you condemn yourself. And then he moves to a, a particular passage which was identified also in Matthew chapter 5, Here's an important matter of God's commands. Speak truthfully. Because all our relationships are dependent on such things. Uh, if we lie to one another, you have no relationship. Uh, and you, you, you diminish the image of Christ in you. Because if there's anything we know about our God, he is the God who speaks the truth. The, the word that showed up in a number of the songs is the word Lord, capitalized. And that particular word essentially means that he is the one who makes promises and he keeps promises. And so this is a section that is an important section that talks about our word. And it's going to show you how the Pharisees would give their word with their fingers crossed. And it goes something like this. So it's going to be a little bit of a, an unusual passage, but please stay with it. Woe to you. Now he uses the word blind, doesn't simply use the word hypocrites. What do you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. In other words, I swear by the temple that I'll be there at 6 o'clock. Well, you swore by the temple, that doesn't matter. So if you're there at 7, if you're there at 10, if you never show up, it doesn't matter. You see the loophole. You're, you're, you, you sort of had your fingers crossed when you said, I swear by the temple. Um, but if you swear by the gold of the temple then you can't have your fingers crossed. You really shouldn't do it if you make that kind of swear. But you had all these different ways of, of trying to sort of hedge your, your words so you could get out of them. 
you blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the, or the temple that has made the gold sacred? If anyone swears by the altar, I swear by the altar. You can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. It's nothing. If you swear by the gift that you put on the altar, then, then you got to trade too. And on and on and on. All these ways, I swear by heaven. You could even swear by heaven. And, and you couldn't be held to whatever it was that you swore. Truthfulness is, is, is essential to a life that turns from hypocrisy. It cares only about the things that are on the outside and the reputation rather than the things that are in. And so we speak openly and truthfully to our God. We also, in going back to Matthew 5, our yes is yes. When you say yes, you do yes. You, you say you're going to take out the trash, you, do, you take out the trash. You do yes in little things. If you say you're going to pick something up at the store, you pick something up at the store. You say, I'll do this with you this afternoon, you do it with the, with the person in the afternoon. And if you say, oh, I forgot, I forgot can only be accompanied by will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Because, because I forgot, if I say I forgot again, it simply means that you can't rely on me. And whenever I say something, even if I say, yeah, I promise I will do it, it doesn't mean anything. And in this way, again, it diminishes the, um, the, the character, the, the, it diminishes the, the call of God in our lives to, to be faithful truth tellers because he has spoken the truth to us. Still speaking to the Pharisees here. What do you scribes uh, and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the greater matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat. This is a, probably an image that you remember from Scripture. Straining out a gnat, but you're swallowing a camel. The, you're called to tithe. That's one of the things the Old Testament said. And, and what, the, what the laws they were, the Pharisees were composing said was you have to, you have to tithe everything. So the, these different... Um, Different, uh, what are they called? What's the word? Spices. Different, the, the different spices that is be, are being, Jesus is identifying, they would, they would have the spices. They're very small spices. It's not big. They're, they're potent spices. And they would, they would precisely cut the, the worst 10% of the spices. And in that way, they can, con they can persuade themselves that they are being righteous. Yet, at the same time, there was a call to generosity, especially to family and, and especially to parents who were in need. And what the Pharisees would do was they would say, oh, I'm so sorry, parents. I can't care for you at this particular time when you're not able to care for yourself because my money is Corbin, it said. This is a, this is a passage in Mark. And Corbin meant it's devoted to the temple. Now, the handy thing there is you didn't have to give it to the temple. Uh, you just sort of, you just sort of, blessed your money and now it's yours to do with whatever you want it's a loophole in your your word you you're called to generosity and you which is obviously a good thing more important than 
enticing these little little spices. And what does it say? They do not love. They do not love. They're looking for ways to be right, to be proud in themselves, but they do not love. And Jesus offers this particular summary. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Two images here. You're clean on the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees. They're still, listen, 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 return. Uh, There's still time. Clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Then he uses a different image. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like, it's, it's uglier this time. It's not just dirty plates. It's, it's a tomb. You are like these whitewashed tombs. And occasionally they would paint tombs uh, as a way to make them more noticeable and in a way to honor those who have died. You're like whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, you appear beautiful. But within, you're full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You you care what people think. You're interested in reputation. And the more you're interested in reputation, the more you will be crowding out Jesus. And you you can check that out in your own hearts. Uh, Jesus, there's simply no room for Jesus when you are ruled by the opinions of other people. And and then there's this longer section that, um, let me me summarize this section. Uh, It's Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are among the lineage that has killed the prophets. Killing the prophets means the prophets come and they speak warnings to you. They speak warnings to call you, call you to come to the true God, and you don't. And instead of, not, not, instead of listening to them, you kill them. And then he talks about from, from the beginning to the end of Scripture, from Abel all the way to a guy named Zechariah. You have killed the prophets. When they have said things, and when they have criticized you rightly, you have, you have ignored them, and you have killed them because that kind of critical voice is not going to enhance your reputation. And then he speaks that if you don't turn, death will indeed fall on, on you and in the very temple that you claim your righteousness with, which is what happened with the uh, fall of Jerusalem, the horrifying fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. With all those woes, Jesus says this, uh, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those those who have sent it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. So you've left your house desolate. You won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So we're listening to these words. Jesus is speaking. It's a crowd. It's in the temple precinct. He's speaking to us first about the scribes and Pharisees. Then he speaks about them. And and at some point, a wise woman and a wise man begins to consider, and where are these very features in in my own heart? Uh, Perhaps the 
the question we, we can ask is, is, is how is your heart today, this morning? How is your heart? It's not that we're indifferent to our overt behavior, but how is your heart in contrast to perhaps the niceness that you would prefer to project? How is your heart? Has your interest in resumes and achievements and the opinions of others, has that sort of taken up the largest space in your own heart? And from the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Christ, the awareness of Christ is, is relegated to, to small groups or to Sunday services. How is your heart? Yeah, you're doing things right. This is, this is what we're now considering as, as, we, as we consider ourselves. Uh, yeah, you do things right. But, but you see, we live before a God who knows the heart. What does it mean to know the heart? He knows the true us. He knows our imaginations. Uh, how is your heart? How is the real you? Behaviors may look okay, but who are you in private? Who are you in your imagination? Who are you when it's just the family around? How many times have, have, have I, did I notice when my daughters were growing up that if they did something around the dinner table or at home that was a bit crude, I would laugh. And I would try to roll my eyes and act like it bothered me, but it didn't bother me. But if there was somebody over the house and they did the same thing, I would, be, I would be frustrated and angry with them because somehow they were not enhancing my particular reputation. How is your heart? That's, that's ultimately where the woes spoken to others, where they come to us. Fantasies of greatness, fantasies of revenge, in your own heart? Is your, is your private life substantially different than your public one? What are the things that you prefer to hide before God and before others? This is, this is the question that lingers for us as Jesus allows us to overhear what he's speaking to the Pharisees. The, the story in the Welch House that um, uh, when, I, when I tell my own story that's become somewhat, somewhat well-known is that in first grade, my, my teacher, I, I might have told you this before, my teacher said, Master Welch can do no wrong. And, and it became, became sort of not just a comment from a teacher, but it became a representational story. Uh, Master Welch can do no wrong, and I was treated as if I could do no wrong. And I learned enough how to do no wrong overtly. Meanwhile, you know, your imaginations and your private world can do whatever you want. Came to Christ, and things changed significantly. But could you imagine being married to a person who, who sort of had that motto hanging over him? Uh, Master Welch can do no wrong. This is what my poor wife had to encounter. 
the second or third day of marriage when she suggested there was something I was doing that was, it was not the best way to do it. And I took significant offense. Do you, you, you see the, the Pharisee in us? What are times that you, somebody says something to you and when you take offense, you attack rather than, rather than listen. This, it's, it, it's being concerned about the opinions of other people or it's humility ultimately before God. Humility is eager to listen to what God says. Humility is, is, has a tradition of confessing sins before other people are able to identify them. Where is your heart? Jesus comes to us, and, and uh, these, these basic staples of life with him, he calls us to rest in him and what he has done. He reminds us that his mercy is more. And it's out of that freedom that he invites us to confess our sins, which is, which is, which is a normal part of everyday life. That's what, we're, that's what we're hoping for. It's a normal part of everyday life, and it is a fantastic cure for hypocrisy because you've already beaten the critics to the punch. Whatever anybody, whatever spouse or other people could say about you, you've already identified those particular things. And out of that confession, what do you do? You, you recognize he's the one who delights in, in forgiving sins because he's the only one who does it. No other made-up God can t- it forgives sins. And he, he invites you to ask for help. To ask for help in growing to love God and to love others from your heart. To to be a little less concerned about your reputation, your resume, and what other people are thinking about it. The achievements that you can offer to others. And resting in the very achievements of Jesus. This is a long passage. It's a hard passage. All these different woes. The woes are not directly spoken to you. But the wise person overhears them and recognizes coming to Christ does not rid of us of, of us, uh, us, us of our own hypocrisy. We multiply laws. We care about resumes. In the midst of that, what do we do? What do you do? How is your heart this morning? Let me pray. Father, thank you for letting us overhear. Because you could have said, and you, right in the very passage. But you have spoken about these things in our own hearts long before this. So so could I confess, even with my brothers and sisters, that, that the last thing we want is to be whitewashed tombs, to be people who look good on the outside, but are utterly indifferent to the things that you see on the inside. Father, we, we want to be people who can confess those things on the inside that, that, that go against you. We want to be able to confess those quickly. And we want to be able to come to you to, to grow in, in a wholehearted knowledge of you, knowledge of your love, 
and responding to your love with, with a desire to, to follow you fully, knowing that in you resides all good things. Father, would you grant us the privilege of an openness with you and a knowledge of forgiveness and, and a kind of purity of heart, even as a child. In the name of Christ, amen.